as Shane said, my name is Rod. My pronouns are he and him. And um, yeah, I work here a couple of days a week. And I spent some of those days thinking about joy this week. Um, before I start, though, uh, I spoke to Cat Finn this week. So she sends her love, famous for writing Aroha Nui. And um, I told her that we yeah, sing her songs very, very regularly and remember her fondly. So she's very pleased to have FNCC immortality as a result of her songs. So if you want to live on in this community, write some songs. Um, I woke up this morning from a pretty intense anxiety dream about all the paperwork I hadn't done for my teaching job. Um, the only thing is I don't have a teaching job. So, so when you start having anxiety dreams about jobs that you don't actually have, you know you've got a bit of a problem with anxiety. Uh, um, I was saying to Josh this morning, I came across this quote from... Um, perhaps the oldest living theologian, <laughs> Jürgen Moltmann. I think he's like 98 or something. But uh, I was listening to him this week saying, talking about hope. Hope is anticipated joy and anxiety is anticipated terror. Um, and uh, so I'm going to frame my entire talk <laughs> around that. Uh, our recognition that, you know, anxiety has its place, but that for so many of us, especially, you know, over two years into a pandemic, the anxiety and the fear is just looming so large um, and it can be quite paralyzing. And so the balance is out and we need more joy. Uh, so that's what today is about. And trying to, we're doing a series on, um, that's, that's what Pat's anxiety does to him, throwing objects around. <laughs> throwing objects around. Uh, exactly. We're doing a series on uh, the letter to the Philippians from Paul, and one of the big themes of the letter is joy. So we're going to see what Paul has to offer us in terms of joy, and also what he doesn't have to offer us, which is probably about the same amount, uh, and see what sources of joy we might find as a community. But to start off with, I just wanted to um, give us a minute to just sit with the question on the screen. Um, however you define joy, there are lots of definitions out there, but however you define joy, just reflect for a minute on um, when you last felt it or a time that you felt it recently and, um, yeah, what brought you joy so just for a minute of silence to sort of get into the joy space. Um, I, I do feel quite a bit of anxiety when I talk often because I think I, I tend to be an extremist. Uh, I write songs with very few words and then I write talks with too many. So um, feel, free, feel free just to interrupt or say, yeah, we get it, move on. Um, at any point, that would be helpful to me. I'm already skipping paragraphs. Um, so one issue 
with joy is that it, it can be quite hard to define. I've been talking to people throughout the week about joy, and everyone has their different definition. So I'm going to offer one that isn't the definition, but with a definition that I found helpful. Um, uh, oh, that's Philippians. Uh, it's from Jürgen Moltmann's disciple, <laughs> Miroslav Wolf. We're doing the Central European men this morning. Apologies. Um, but he talks about joy is a response to something good. So it's a pretty simple definition, but it's just this, this emotional response to something good that is happening to us or has happened. Um, so he understands joy to have an object out there that is making us feel good and that that's what produces joy. Um, So it's interesting to ask ourselves as, you know, I don't know what it was that came up for you as you reflected on joy, um, but to ask yourselves, what are the types of things in life, what are the types of things out there in the world that feel like a source of the good to you? What are the, what are the types of things in your life that bring joy? Um, and also getting back to the Jürgen Moltmann thing, what are the things in the future that give you hope if hope is anticipated joy? Um, so that question of what is the good for us, what are the sources of goodness that give us joy is one that I want to talk about as we look at the verses from Philippians that refer to joy. Um, and I want to... To begin with Paul, as we read these verses, I want us to think about what are the good things that give Paul joy? Perhaps things that have happened, things that are happening, and things that are um, in the future. And from that, we'll then move on to thinking about, are those things, the things that gave him joy, are they the same things that give us joy? And if not, what can we learn from his understanding of joy and what we can, what can we learn from um, the good things that he found joy in. Um, so, the first is Philippians 1.18. All that matters is that any and every way, whether from false or genuine motives, Christ is being proclaimed. That is what brings me joy. Philippians 2.2. Be united in your convictions and united in your love with a common purpose and a common mind. This is the one thing that would make my joy complete. Philippians 2, 17 and 18. Even if my life is to be poured out like a libation upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad of it and rejoice with all of you. May you be glad for the same reason and rejoice with me. Philippians 2, 28. I am sending Epaphroditus back to you as soon as I can. I know it will give you joy to see him again, and that will make me less worried about you. Philippians 3.1 Finally, my friends, rejoice in Christ. To write the same things again is no burden for me, but I do it for your safety. Philippians 4.1 For these reasons, my friends, you whom I so love and long for, you who are my joy and my crown, continue, my dear ones, to stand firm in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.4, 4, 
Rejoice in the Saviour always. I say again, rejoice. And lastly, Philippians 4.10. This is in response to the gift that they sent him. Paul says, It gave me great joy in our God that your concern for me bore fruit once more. So I'm sorry that you don't have those verses to look at, but um, was there anything that stood out for you uh, about in relation to these questions, things that are good things that give Paul joy? Um, Just the one about um, sending... Who was that person? (laughs) Yeah, him or her. (laughs) We don't know. Back to um, the community. It just reminded me of the joy you you get when you um, have a reunion with somebody, you know, you haven't seen, like at an airport or something like that. Um, Yeah, and that that one sort of triggered off the the sort of thought to um, our experiences. But the others I find a little bit sort of difficult. (laughs) Good reflection. Yeah, harder to relate to. Anything else that stood out for people? So this is quite off on a tangent, um, but I was thinking just about um, him being, having joy that um, Christ is preached. Like if we take that off on the tangent of dreams you have or a sense of purpose that you might have... um, I was just thinking about joy being attached to a sense of purpose and dreams coming to to fruition. And um, uh, for me, with um, chronic fatigue and ADHD, purpose is something that I have to continually try and reinvent for myself and try and find ways to find purpose in amongst rest and, uh, and joy in amongst rest. And so, yeah, I was just thinking about the way it's also... Yeah, a bit related to there's things in Proverbs about like the man without vision withers or something like that. So I can really relate to dreams coming true that are quite deep for you being being a joy. Yeah. Thanks, Danielle. It, it reminds me again of something else that Miroslav Volf talks about and the difference between pleasure and joy is that joy has a, a deep meaning dimension to it. Um, pleasure just doesn't need to and... Uh, yeah, it's interesting to, to re- yeah, reflect on that difference, no, the role of meaning and purpose, yeah. Yeah, the other thing that really comes through in this letter, um, and it's not, not so apparent in the verses that I've shared with you, but is this real um, sense of incredible division between future, there and then, um, as Paul's source of joy. It's not entirely true because we see, as Louise said, that there is joy in sending Epaphroditus back to them. There's joy in the gift that they sent to him. So it's not like every source of joy for Paul is in the future. Um, But there is this real sense in the letter that the present is essentially about suffering and... The future is about joy. Incredible anticipation of Jesus' return, this incredible anticipation of their, um, the lowly bodies that we have now being transformed into glorious bodies. And, um, yeah, so this incredible division between 
the now and the future, now being sorrow and suffering and the future being joy. Um, and, and I think this is where Paul really reveals himself to be what he is, which is a Pharisee and a Jew. You know, Jews of this time had this real division between the present age and the coming age. Um, all of them were waiting for this coming age when everything would change, everything would be put right. Uh, and the present age was an age of, of sorrow and suffering. And so that incredibly strong binary just sort of channeled all of their thinking about joy. And it's not that it was impossible to find joy in the here and now, but that the dominant narrative was now is, um, is suffering and the future is joy. And while we might not, while we might struggle to relate to that, uh, there's no doubt, and I think this is where it might be helpful to us, there's no doubt that it was powerfully motivating to the early church to be active. It wasn't this vision that meant, okay, the future, everything's going to happen in the future and now we just sit tight and do nothing. Um, there was also this incredible sense in which they were chosen by God to be part of the battle in the here and now against powers and principalities to bring about this kingdom of God, this new world. So that this future joy, this anticipated joy was incredibly motivating for transformative action. Um, might talk about it as joy as a source of resistance this vision that they had, like Daniel was talking about, the vision that they had of a future kingdom of God um, created this incredible solidarity with each other and incredible transformative action. Um, the, I can't remember, I think I may have mentioned this before, but the, the historian Tom Holland talking about Paul's message and the communities that he started as a kind of depth charge under ancient culture that slowly has rippled out over the millennia to completely transform society. Um, so it just creates this question for us when we, we feel the need, on the one hand, we feel the need, the deep need for joy and a joy that's connected to purpose, a joy that's motivating, a joy that connects us to other people so that we can act collectively to bring about transformation and change. So there's that deep desire on the one hand, but then when we look at Paul, there are ways in which we might really struggle to identify with the sources of that joy that he finds. I think for us two, two millennia <laughs> down the track, it's much harder for us to be motivated by a vision of Jesus' imminent return and the way that's going to transform everything. It's much more difficult for us, especially in a materialist culture, I mean like um, disenchanted culture like our own, to be motivated by this anticipation of resurrection or our bodies being transformed into this kind of glorious form from the lowly form that it fi finds now. Um, so it's a bit of a, it's a dilemma. It's like we, we find this real um, 
kind of inspiration from Paul to pursue joy as the fuel for solidarity and action in seeking to transform the world. But we might not find much joy in the things that give him joy. Uh, so I guess that's a dilemma that I want to put to us this morning and to see whether we have any thoughts about, for us as a community, what is the good, what are the good and beautiful things that can give us the joy that we need to find the solidarity that the Philippians had and to be active in the world collectively to bring about the change that we see Jesus calling for, you know, to bring about the upside-down kingdom of God, of justice and love. Um, so I guess I'm putting it, putting it to you. I have some thoughts which I'll share in a sec, but when you, um, yeah, when you seek a source of joy to fuel your connection to this community or your connection to God, your, um, your desire to be active in the pursuit of justice and love in the world. What is it that gives you that fuel? What is it that gives you that joy? What are the sources of the good that help to move you from despair and anxiety towards kind of hope and action? Small question. Luckily, Annika has an answer. Crikey. Um, I was in, in my reflection and thinking of where I experienced joy recently. I, you know, no surprise, but so many of my most recent joys were around kids and just how um, even my experience of seeing kids around and having kids around is really joy inspiring to me. Um, and I think a lot has been said about kids as an inspiration to make the world a better place but I truly think that at least in this community that having kids around and it's one of the ways in which we kind of go okay like you know we got to get real on climate change you know all of the things that the future generations will inherit I think kids are so such a sort of landmark for that it inspiring that kind of action um, and yeah there's obviously lots of our kids from Jesus and, yeah, all of that. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, yeah, and the beautiful themes of, I mean, the thing of play and fun and all of those kinds of, um, yeah, play and fun can be also forms of resistance. Yeah, Ros. A little bit similar lines in that it's um, people-related. Um, so just the, the next level up for me, often joy um, comes about when I'm connecting with other people. So in the term context of, of this place here, I think, and particularly after a difficult two years, um, just reconnecting or connecting with um, new people or reconnecting with older people and um, getting that sense of team going again. I've always played competitive sports and love um, teamwork and, you know, being part of a team and... Um, building up one another and, um, and and just, yeah, being on the same team, heading in the same direction um, is is can be fun and exciting and, and, for me, inspiring. Thanks, Roz. Yeah. I was reflected on the fact that I find it almost impossible to watch individual sport because the psychological pressure on those individuals is too great, whereas team sport I love because it feels like this shared burden. If, 
if they lose, it's them losing collectively and then it doesn't feel so devastating. <laughs> Go team. Um, I'm going to try for a uh, bonus multiplier by something that should make us happy and would make Paul happy too. Is um, It's just that he bangs on about unity a lot. Um, and I think it's something, again, unless we sit in that cultural context, we find it hard to conceive of because their communities were made up of people from across the social strata in a really stratified society. And so they, that burden-carrying thing we were talking about before, about the amount of understanding it would have taken for a master to conceive of what it would be like to actually be a slave um, rather than just seeing them as subhuman. And in our context, like the differences amongst us and somehow sometimes the difficult conversations we have to have and the difficult ways we have to overcome our own prejudices to understand the gift that the other in this community is and the hard work that needs to be done to do that. Um, but then just watching people take in this community take so much joy in each other and perhaps people that they would have heard terrible things about or communities they would have heard t terrible things about in their childhood faith or whatever and just seeing people do that hard work and find joy in each other and see the gift in each other. Um, I just think it's just one of those remarkable and like life-giving, joyous things. And I think when Paul thought, um, just for those of you who also come from Pentecostal land, like we need to take this slide off soon because it's like <laughs> really anxiety-inducing. <laughs> um, I just thought only a former Sydney Anglican could leave it up there without saying this isn't actually what we're talking about. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, because when Paul envisages the future it's not the left behind apocalypse it's actually far more like what he wanted to see in his own community which is where there's this radical equality taking place um, which is good I'd also like to say um, just counter to you is that uh, for those of us who grew up being incredibly motivated by Jesus' imminent returns under many prophecies it still does work today yeah, yeah. As a fam our family stored up food at one stage because um, Lake Topo was going to erupt, so and Jesus was going to come back. Oh, that's good to know. <laughs> Anything else that people want to share, Louise? Um, I was just thinking about that old adage, the joy of giving, and I think that's part of the community too. When when you give, I'm not talking about money, but just time or efforts or anything. I mean, we've done church set up a few times and it's actually quite joyful. I'm giving a plug for that, <laughs> Tamsin. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it just gives you a sense of, oh, okay, you've put in for a community or, you know, the coffee's ready and all that. So, I mean, that's just a very basic one, but just the joy of giving time or um, prayer or anything like that, um, that's what I find is really contributing to a, a Christian community. And I just wanted to add one little thing um, that I used to get joy from at my work, in my work in teaching was when you'd be teaching someone, and, and especially children, they get a light bulb moment, we used to call it. And, um, and that, that was brilliant, you know, and it can work with adults too when, when you're struggling to, to point out something to a child or to an adult and suddenly they get it. And that the joy of just seeing that happen is, is just really good. So I suppose you could relate that also to the community of believers too. Yeah, there is such a 
kind of transcendent. I mean, not always with Paul. We don't want to exaggerate, but um, such a transcendent vision, uh, and the idea of finding joy in the small things and finding God in the small things. Uh, I think um, for us, if we find it hard to attach to some beautiful vision, or we've been burnt by the beautiful transcendent um, vision that our church gave us when we're young, yeah, the antidote or perhaps the way forward is yeah, finding joy in in small things. Um, when you talked about old adages, uh, Louise, I thought of the comparison as the thief of joy one. And for me, that's just such a massive one. And I feel like huge in our lives, or huge in my life at the moment in terms of like feeling like I'm at a stage where there's like potential and options all the time and it's just so easy to look and be like oh that'd be nice wouldn't it look how happy that would make me or that would make me happy that would make me happy and what I I think for me the bit that's really landing about that Wolf quote is the like something good that's happening to us and the need to like practice reminding ourselves of the good that's happening to us and not constantly be like looking to the good that's happening to other people because that then sucks the ability to feel it in myself. Um, yeah. It, and it's one of those things where I feel like um, in in all the gifts that modern life gives us of choice and opportunity and da-da-da-da-da, it's like there's something so exhausting about constantly looking to other people and creating these stories about how much happier and more joyful they are than us because we can't slow down and pay attention to the small things or whatever. Just another thing. I just loved how in so many of the answers um, we've spoken about things that kind of run contrary to, like, the kind of, I don't know, scarcity mentality, Lou, with your, you know, everyone contributing. When that begins to happen, this scarcity mentality that is drilled into us, we go, oh, no, when everyone gives, you know, whatever, then there's plenty for everyone. And um, teamwork, your answer, like, so much of that the hyper-individualism gets contrasted and even competitiveness when we're not comparing and, and fighting for the limited resources. Um, it just seems so much more human than the sort of, like, you know, hyper-individualist and hyper-capitalist thing that is so... that runs so deep in me, I know, um, and how, like, uh, how much I struggle when I run into this and I'm like, I don't want to live like this. Like, I don't want this. Why do I want this? <laughs> um, and I just, yeah, I've been finding a lot of joy in everyone's answers, no pun intended. Thanks, Annika. This is this is a weird one, but I I find um, a sense of joy in getting things right or perfect. Um, <laughs> and hear me out, because it took me a while before I was comfortable to admit this. Um, I I love setting up sound systems for people. Um, so doing AV um, for as long as I remember, I was tuning VCRs for people who even remember what that was. Um, and right now, I'm building a music player, like a, an MP3 player, for people with disabilities and dementia. And I work, I've worked for nine months not getting paid at all, ob obscenely, obsessively, drilling right down into the deep technical problems of how can I take away complexity 
so I can give the gift of music to people who just want to play music. And so, and what happens is I might spend two weeks solving this really tricky problem. And when I've completed that, I will be dancing around my house, getting this burst of joy. And I'm not typically a dancer. Um, so it's very odd and very contrasting to notice that. And it's come out of you know, being, being fatigued. And yet I'm so happy that I've resolved it. And it's not for me. I, I, can, I can use Spotify. So the joy is actually for other people that may not get it for another you know, nine months until it's done. But in, in the obsession, in the perfection, in, in the deep technical um, introspective work of, of, of being you know, kind of a geek in a sense, it's, it's for the purpose of giving to others. So it's, it's almost like a sacrifice for uh, and, and a long-term goal for that. Um, but that's my thing. Like, that's what I love doing. And uh, I wish, I'd love to say, yeah, I love hanging out in groups of people and, and you know, connecting people. And I kind of do, but it's the technical part is a part of the way I breathe joy in, in my life. So, Thanks, Matthew. And it's, yeah, it's just so inspiring. It just reminds me of that whole thing of... Sh- you know, experience sorrow with other people when they're experiencing, experiencing sorrow and experience joy with people when they're experiencing joy and the fact of community and actually inquiring about what gives people joy and being able to connect with sources of joy that might be so profoundly different from where you derive it but which are so profound and that you can be energised by as well. Okay, I'm conscious of the time, so unless there's anything burning. I just want to share a few things to finish. Um, and it, it's essentially inspired by one idea, which is that um, what originally gave Paul his joy and what created this kind of snowball of joy and creating of communities was a mystical vision. Um, and his mystical vision was being, as he says in 2 Corinthians, taken up into the third heaven and shown things that are um, unable to be expressed. Um, And I wonder whether we just need to find or be mystics that that speak to our own need for sources of joy. Um, So I just wanted to share three little quotes and bits um, that I've just come across this week that have like mystical visions to me that have really inspired joy in me just as a way of hopefully inspiring you to find your own, um, yeah, mystics that give you a vision uh, for joy. Uh, So the first is um, Thomas Merton. I don't know who who is familiar with Thomas Merton. He's a, a, um, a monk and a mystic in the kind of middle of the 20th century and this is just a description of a, of a mystical encounter that he had um, from conjectures of a guilty bystander. In Louisville, at the corner of Fourth and Walnut, in the centre of the shopping district, I was suddenly overwhelmed with the realisation that I loved all those people, that they were mine and I theirs, that we could not be alien to one another even though we were total strangers. It was like waking from a dream of separateness, of spurious self-isolation in a special world, the world of renunciation and supposed holiness. This sense of liberation from an illusory difference was such a relief 
and such a joy to me that I almost laughed out loud. If only everybody could realize this, but it cannot be explained. There is no way of telling people that they are all walking around shining like the sun. The second one, I'm just going to get Warwick to play. This is from um, uh, the latest episode of On Being, which is a listening party. And this is a quote from Ross, Ross Gay, who's written a book called The Book of Delights. And so this is him reading a section from it. Among the most beautiful things I've ever heard anyone say came from my student, Bethany, talking about her pedagogical aspirations or ethos, how she wanted to be as a teacher and what she wanted her classrooms to be. She said, what if we joined our wildernesses together? Sit with that for a minute, that the body, the life might carry a wilderness, an unexplored territory, and that yours and mine might somewhere somehow meet, might even join. And what if the wilderness, perhaps the densest wild in there, thickets, bogs, swamps, uncrossable ravines and rivers, have I made the metaphor clear, is our sorrow? Or, to use Smith's term, the intolerable. It astonishes me sometimes, no, often, how every person I get to know, everyone, regardless of everything, by which I mean everything, lives with some profound personal sorrow. Brother addicted, mother murdered, dad died in surgery, rejected by their family, cancer came back, evicted, fetus not okay. Everyone, regardless, always of everything. Not to mention the existential sorrow we all might be afflicted with, which is that we and what we love will soon be annihilated which sounds more dramatic than it might, let me just say dead. Is this sorrow of which our impending being no more might be the foundation, the great wilderness? Is sorrow the true wild? And if it is, and if we join them, your wild to mine, what's that? For joining too is a kind of annihilation. What if we joined our sorrows, I'm saying? I'm saying, what if that is joy? What if we joined our sorrows? What if that is joy? And I do wonder for people who've come from, uh, many of us come from triumphalist church contexts and are searching for a different source of joy, whether it actually is in the joining of our traumas, the joining of our sorrows, the standing with each other in those things that we will find a surprising source of joy. I certainly just this morning singing with you, I just found having had a week of extreme anxiety and um, guilt about various aspects of my life, just the incredible relief of, of being with you and singing together and singing songs that are not triumphalist but which are full full of joy full of the beauty of nature full of the joy of connection um the last thing i want to read to you uh, is this beautiful poem that um someone in i'm doing a course in pastoral education and um one of the other people in the group 
who is not from a faith background and so uses poetry as her sacred text. Uh, she shared this poem with us and it just really struck me as I've been thinking about Paul's vision of the kind of transcendent and um, joy being up and out there. The idea of um, angels that this poem shares, I think, feels like a mystical vision to me as well. Um, some, I'm sick of my voice. Would someone else like to read this poem? Anyone? Thanks, Tamsin. Angels. This is how an angel comes, out of the earth upwards, from the underworld when everybody thought they came from the light wings of the sky. No, they are massive. On nights of rain and sleet, split the soil, splash and muddy the grass, wingspans wide as lakes, wearing mud armour, they crawl. Full length up rivers and streams, dam ditches, seep through drains, penetrate walls, barns, chicken coops, unsettled bats with wing beats that shake down trees, remind us, cradled in our prayers, how we like to remain dry, sheltered. This is how angels come, mouths full of earth, spitting verses of poetry. beauty of poetry is that you don't need to make sense of it much of the time you just got to feel it so let's just as the rain starts <laughs> let's just sit with that for a minute and then I'll um, lead us in communion So let's help each other to find joy, help each other to find mystics that inspire joy and share our own joy with each other. Um, so with communion in this place, uh, you are welcome to participate. Everyone is welcome to participate or not if you don't feel comfortable to. So what we do is people just come forward, um, crack the crackers and take a little thimble of juice and then stand in a loose circle and when everyone has their uh, juice and their crackers then we pray and then we eat and drink together. Um, so feel free to come forward and crack a cracker and take a little piece and a thimble of juice and then I'll pray in a little minute. Loving God, I thank you for the miracle of this community um, that we can meet together and seek to find a unity in the midst of our difference and that we can, in that journey, find forms of connection and solidarity that bring joy Help us to be a place where we share our sorrows and share our joys. And in that, 
help us to find you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's eat and drink. Uh, one thing that didn't really come up this morning was nature as a source of joy, but I know that is a real source of joy for many of us. And it's something that I've discovered through Celtic spirituality, that incredible connection to nature and finding of God in in nature. Uh, and as I said before, I, I write long talks and short songs. So as a benediction, I want to sing you uh, a song based on a Celtic uh, blessing that I wrote a while ago. I can't remember when. Um, it's called Deep Peace. So this is my benediction for you and a picture of the west coast of Ireland. Deep peace of the running ways to you. Deep peace of the flowing air. Deep peace of the quiet earth to you. Deep peace of the moon and stars. Deep peace of the running waves to you. Deep peace of the flowing air. Deep peace of the quiet earth to you. Deep peace of the moon and stars.